I would like to uh, read a portion from one of Dobson's book regarding moms who have every right to be honored uh, today. Either if you're a mom or you might be thinking of your mother as well. He writes, I have the highest respect and admiration for those who are blessed to be called mothers. There are few assignments in human experience that require the array of skills and wisdom needed by a mom in fulfilling her everyday duties. She must be a resident psychologist, physician, theologian, educator, nurse, chef, taxi driver, fire marshal, and occasional police officer. And if she uh, succeeds in each of these responsibilities, she gets to do it all over again tomorrow. To understand the world in which a young mother lives, you might want to join one of them on a mid-morning visit to the pediatrician's office. After sitting for 45 minutes with a cranky, feverish toddler on her lap, mom and baby are finally ushered into the examining room, and the doctor checks out the sick child and then tells the woman with a straight face, be sure to keep him quiet for four or five days. Don't let him scratch the rash. Make certain he keeps medicine down, and you'll need to watch his stool. Yeah, sure, doc. Any other suggestions? Just one. This infection is highly contagious. Keep the other four kids away from him, and I'll see you next week. Thanks, Mom. Being a mom is all about serving others. It's all about loving others, namely her children. In fact, contained within the word mother is the word other. Others before self, which is, in, a, in essence, what it means to be a mom, putting others before herself. During this unusual coronavirus time, as we've been sequestered, it's given us the occasion to take a serious assessment of our own lives, um, of our families, of our churches, of our activities, of our uh, community, and even of our faith. And it's caused me to ask this question. Have I lived primarily, have I been living primarily for myself or for others? The Apostle Paul began uh, Romans 12, which is a very famous uh, chapter in the New Testament, which begins with, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then he goes on in verse 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it look like to have a renewed mind in Christ? What does the transformed life look like? And so Paul continues to write in uh, this section of his letter, and he gets down to our verse 9, and he says, this is what the transformed life looks like. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Who does Paul say we're to love here? to honor here, to be devoted to our children? Yes. Are we to honor our leaders? Yes. But even more so, we're to honor everyone. Everyone. 
In verse 14, he goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. When was the last time you honored and blessed someone who was persecuting you, who was disrespecting you, who you didn't agree with, who you necessarily didn't like? When was the last time you did that? If you have, then it would be clear evidence that you have a transformed mind in Christ. Paul goes on in verse 17 to describe this transformed life when he says in verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, these are mind-blowing, amazing words coming from one who used to hate followers of Christ. He, he would just soon see them die than continue on and to live. Uh, for example, Saul of Tarsus, <clears throat> who was the Apostle Paul, Saul stood at the stoning of the first martyr. He presided over Stephen's death, and he delighted in that. We belong to the family of God, which is called the church. And one person said the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of its non-members. In other words, if you're a Christian, and if you're living today, your primary job description is others. Focus on others. Just like moms do with children, believers are to focus on others. If God has blessed you to be a mother, his primary job description for you is to devote yourself to the health and well-being of your children. If you've been so blessed by God to be chosen to be part of his family, then his primary job for us is to be devoted to the health, spiritual health and well-being of others. And if we lose focus of this, then we will fail to live out our calling in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where did the Apostle Paul get this description of the transformed life? Well, he got it from Jesus himself. In his letter to the Philippians, he wrote this about Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same transformed mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He served others. He lived his life to serve others. So how are we to respond during our current situation of this world pandemic? The requirements and recommendations that have been handed down to us by our governing officials have caused us to take drastic measures and experience major sacrifices in our lives during these past eight weeks or more. And we've done our best to comply. We've done our best uh, to listen, either willingly or reluctantly, but we've done so. And some folks believe that our governing 
government recommendations are feeling like an overreach. It's feeling like an infringement now on our rights. And you've even seen the um, video of two doctors in California who believe this, or perhaps the Nobel Peace Prize winner who believes that, you know, that this is way too much. We got to open up our country. And there are many scientists who would concur as well. And as time goes on, we see on the internet more and more controversial conspiracy theories. And the attitude of folks are enough is enough already. It's time to open up our country or take civil disobedient action. Peter was standing before the Sanhedrin when he was released from jail and they instructed him not to speak in the name of Jesus to which he responded in Acts 5 we must obey God rather than human beings Daniel refused the command and edict of of his ruler and he, he prayed to his God he didn't bow along with Shadrach Meshach and Abednego did not bow to the statue Rather, they worship the one true God. Well, others, though, would say that we need to respect our executive orders of our appointed leaders, be it a local level, a state level, or a federal level. In Romans 13, the very next chapter, after Paul is speaking of how to love others, he says in Romans 13, 1, and there weren't chapters in his letter, so as one run-on thought, he said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is uh, no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He goes on to say, if you disobey that authority, then you're disobeying God. And he wrote this during the time of the emperor Nero, who would literally burn Christians at the stakes in his garden during his garden parties. They would contend that these leaders are doing their best with their informed understanding to protect our world, our country, our state, our community, and this in the face of great opposition. These leaders are making these decisions. Romans 13 comes sandwiched between Romans 12 and Romans 14, which also focuses on the transformed life of placing others before oneself. We've heard how some churches have defied government recommendations, and they've chosen to ignore uh, the, the edicts handed down to them, and they open up their churches from day one. And they've done so. They've even gone to court in some cases. And, uh, but we've also seen how um, the, their actions, perceived actions, have been met with a lot of condemnation and a lot of accusation from the public, saying things like, those religious wackos are selfishly standing up for their rights and ignoring uh, the needs of the, the weak and the, the vulnerable. And so that's the, the perception that a lot of Christians and churches have when they ignore uh, what the government has handed down. Well, someone could put, push back, well, didn't Jesus also deal with false accusation and opposition because he was pursuing what was right? 
Or didn't John the Baptist, after confronting his leader, didn't he get even beheaded because he ticked him off so much? Or how about Martin Luther King, who was threatened? His family was threatened. He was arrested. And then ultimately, he was assassinated as a murder because, uh, because he did civil disobedience. These people uh, routinely would lay down their lives for other people, not for their own self, but for other people because they put their needs before their own and they would teach their followers the same. Jesus would. And Paul did as well in Romans 14. Um, he taught we love others in the midst of controversial matters. And so, if you have your Bibles, open to Romans 14, starting in verse 15, and you can read the whole chapter entitled, The Weak and the Strong. You see, Paul considered himself one who was strong, who had experienced the freedom in Christ to do really what he wanted to do if it honored Christ. But he recognized that he lived among people who had different convictions, who had weaknesses. They were weak physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe they were stuck in some legalistic behavior. And so Paul said, how do we behave around people like this? And in Romans 14, we read in verse 15, Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love if you continue to eat in their presence. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil by your behavior. And then skip down to verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And interestingly, uh, interestingly enough, another issue was what, what day to worship on. Uh, what's the sacred day to worship on? They're arguing as to whether it be Saturday or Sunday or it could be another day. And then in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul addresses the same, and he concludes this. He says, To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. In other words, Paul was about serving others, about winning others, rather than standing up for his own rights and what he had the freedom to do or not do. Paul gladly chose to lay down his rights for the sake of the weaker. He didn't feel, uh, those who didn't feel that they had the same freedom physically, spiritually, or emotionally, others before self is a mark of a transformed life in Christ. One church uh, posted this, or a member of the church posted this outside their church. And this was a few weeks ago. And it reads this. And then the whole world walked inside and shut their doors of their homes and said, we will stop it all, everything regarding the virus to protect our weaker ones, our sicker ones, our older ones, and nothing Nothing in history of humankind ever felt more like love than this. I guess I would say that's my primary bent as a pastor, 
That's how I'm gifted. That's how I'm wired. And uh, this is how I pastor. I, I am a peacemaker. And I don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend the weaker, the more vulnerable. I don't want to cause them to think twice about my actions. However, I recognize that there are many believers in the church who have spiritual giftings and passions and leadership functions that I don't have. Even on our church staff, we differ. And in our church leadership, we have different preferences and giftings. For example, in our church, there are those who have more nurturing, peacemaking type gifts. And so they might be the gifts of service and, and helps and healing and shepherding and encouragement and giving and gifts of mercy, um, empathy. And then there are those who have more of the truth gifts, you know, the exhortation gifts, the challenging type gifts, those who have the gifts of exhortation and faith and justice. They speak out against injustice. They're the ones who will stand up uh, for the, those who are human trafficked. There are those uh, who speak out against sexual harassment, domestic abuse, homelessness, abortion, white supremacy shootings like we just experienced this past week with Ahmad Arbery. Uh, the, the believers historically spoke out against slavery and ended slavery. Lynching of blacks uh, was in the law of several states. It was legal. And it was the Christians that ended the hangings and lynchings of African Americans. Similarly, there are five functions of leadership in a healthy church. There are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, teachers, and pastors. And each one has a different bent and will respond in different ways. For example, the apostles are the dream awakeners. They forge new pathways into missional uh, change in society. They're catalysts for change. And, you know, people often resist change. And then we have the prophets. They're the heart revealers. They provoke and challenge assumptions of the church. They call people to repentance and righteousness and faithful living. And then there are those who are evangelists. They're the storytellers. They proclaim the good news of freedom and salvation in the name of Jesus. And then there are the pastor shepherds. They are the soul healers. They guide and nurture people through their brokenness unto healing and harmony and unity. Uh. And then there are the teachers who are the light givers. They clarify the truth and make knowledge about God accessible to everyone. And so God gifts each person differently. And interestingly, the, the leaders who operate under the two functions of prophet and apostle, they can often be accused of being insensitive and reckless toward others as they call for the truth. But here's the deal. Jesus operated under all five leadership functions. He was perfectly balanced. The comforting side of Jesus offered hope and healing to the lost and the rejected and the disenfranchised and the broken. But the confrontive side of Jesus, the prophet and apostle in Jesus, he demonstrated righteous anger. He overturned the tables of the money changers who prevent... Uh, and he didn't do so because he was ticked off 
for himself, but for the Gentiles in the court of Gentiles who, um, who could not worship because of all these people selling things in their place of worship. He cared for them. He confronted the religious leaders on many occasions. And in chapter 23 of Matthew, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law. You hypocrites, you blind guides, you blind fools, you whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers. That doesn't sound too pastoral, Jesus. It doesn't sound too Christ-like. Christ. A healthy church needs all five of these in operation. We need all five of them if we're to be a complete, healthy church, like this picture. And in the middle is Jesus, and all of them are intersecting circles in a healthy church. However, if a prophet were to confront someone with the heart motives of indignation, not, self, uh, not self-righteousness, but indignation or hate for another person, or out of disrespect or retaliation, then Jesus has left the building. Jesus is not in this. That goes for any of these gifts. Without love, we're a clanging gong, and we're just irritating to the ears. I remember a well-known news anchor writing in his book that he would receive uh, bags full of mail from Christians who objected to the way he reported the news because he slanted one way as opposed to the other. And uh, it was basically hate mail. And uh, if Jesus were to try to reach this news anchor, who you'd all know, then uh, he might, through his people, be not successful. I wouldn't turn... To Christ, if Christ looked like Christians in that way. But notice Jesus' heart motives, even after confronting his accusers in the same chapter, Matthew 23, verse 37, he ends up on the hill looking over Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Did you hear the heart cry of Jesus? He loved his very accusers. And in the end, we all need to operate out of the same Christ-like love. In fact, Jesus boiled down all of his teachings to two commands. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The apostolic and prophetic leader that you know, Martin Luther King Jr., practiced civil disobedience as he taught his people to have sit-down strikes or marches, peaceful marches, to confront evil and injustice. But he instructed his followers to do so peacefully and with respect. At the same time, his contemporary Malcolm X would rile people up and he would incite people to violence and retaliation, which was hardly Christ-like. Throughout this COVID crisis, it's been my vision for our church to shine outwardly into our community. And in some ways, I think we've been more, a more complete picture of the church of Jesus Christ during this crisis than we have preceding it. 
because through this all, um, we have proclaimed the message of Jesus, not just inwardly in these walls of this building, but outwardly. We have been proclaiming it through social media. We've been proclaiming it and practicing our faith through acts of kindness and encouragement as we've made phone calls, as we've run to the grocery store for people, as we've stopped and talked uh, greater lengths with neighbors, as we've sat at the dinner table with our family. We've uh, practiced acts of compassion. And we've offered generous gifts to our ministries in our community. Ministries of compassion and mercy like McPherson Housing Coalition and McPherson Food Bank and Churches United Ministry. And this past week, the leadership team also um, felt led to offer a generous gift to our uh, Midwest Conference here in, uh, of the covenant because we know of many churches uh, that have reported to be in crisis during this time. For example, Pastor Eugene Kahura, a Congolese covenant pastor from Urbandale, Iowa, he pastors a church of refugees and immigrants. He said there are at least 30 families in our church who are unable to go to work and they've been without income because they didn't qualify as refugees for the government assistance. And they're afraid to return to their work at the meat packing plants because of the massive outbreaks they're experiencing. And so they're in major crisis. So our conference is blessing churches like this. And there are several other churches like this as well. So thank you once again for your generous gifts uh, to this church that we're able to dispense them uh, to ministries that are doing wonderful things in the name of Christ. Allow me to conclude with this compelling description from Pastor Glenn McDonald from Ohio of how people have chosen to respond to the culture during this crisis. This is what he writes. We live in a deeply divided and painfully conflicted society. Ours is a culture where people of faith don't always feel at home. How have followers of Jesus responded in the culture? Well, some have retreated into exclusive enclaves where the price of admission is cherishing a particular worldview and regarding outsiders with suspicion. Others have plunged headlong into the culture wars, hoping that the next election or Supreme Court decision will advance God's rule on earth. Still others have concluded that the best way forward is to not make waves or make enemies, but go with the flow of our culture's ever-shifting perspectives. Christine D. Johnson thinks that there's a better way to live. She says, followers of Jesus should be like trees. Trees are humble. They are quietly there in the midst of other living things. They provide beauty, shade, fruit, habitats for wildlife. They contribute to the world's common good. Most spectacularly, they breathe in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. Carbon dioxide, for most animals, is a toxic gas, while oxygen is essential for their, for, uh, their survival. Trees, in other words, provide a gift. It's not for their own benefit, but for the sustenance of the world's ecosystems. 
Johnson then asks, wouldn't it be amazing if that were our reputation today as believers? Instead of cordoning ourselves off into inward-facing groups, hasn't God sent us into the world, at least in part, to bless those around us by means of the common good? This would mean seeking justice, not just for our side, but also for those we don't agree with. Paul said, Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good, and be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Do not by your actions destroy someone for whom Christ died, but make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And if it would mean feeding the hungry, teaching the children, healing the sick, regardless of what the TV news channels they happen to watch, that would be awesome. Just be there. Be there like a tree. Whenever you're, wherever you're uh, currently planted, allow God to use your presence to bless others nearby. Well, it's Mother's Day today. And contained in the word mothers is others. It's their job description to care for, to nurture, uh, to be devoted to their children. In the same way as Christ followers, we have this very same other-centered job description and calling in life. The transformed life will be a life focused on others. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, um, we know as we look to you that uh, you are a Savior who demonstrated what it looks like to love others sacrificially, to lay aside one's own rights in order to care for others, to give preference to others before yourself. The Apostle Paul, um, he lived a Christ-like life as well, and he taught us to do so as well. And so, Lord Jesus, what does this mean for us? It may mean many different things in the life of this church. As I mentioned, we all have different functions. We have different spiritual gifts. We have different ways of allowing it to play out in our culture. Lord, we want to speak out against injustice, and sometimes that will offend people. But Lord, we also want to be sensitive to those who are weaker in the faith, or weaker physically or emotionally. And so, Lord, we make decisions based on that as well. Lord Jesus, give us clarity and wisdom as your people that we may represent you well, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.